0: world has changed again and the stakes are higher than ever now we're facing a full-fledged revolution a hyper competitive world involving arts and gifts and fear and ability for you for anyone to make an indispensable contribution to something you care about if you're not indispensable yet it's because you haven't made that choice my goal is to help you see the choice is yours hey guys I'm Rohit and I welcome you to another episode of the strategy podcast I started from these lines which come from my hero Seth Gordon's book the Lynchpin, are you indispensable how to drive your career and create a future I'm now reading Seth's fifth book and I must say the kind of work that he has done is truly revolutionary Because he is trying to change the way people think about their work and the impact that they wish to create in the world and that's something very personal to me. My own personal journey from the jobs that I did to what I'm doing now is the change that I wish to seek in the world. I want people to be very actively choosing the careers that they want to do and the strategy podcast the only purpose of why I do it is because I want you to make those choices actively and consciously. In this episode of the Strategy Podcast, I have with me Raj Datta. Raj has been kind enough to share his time, efforts and energy to do this podcast. He comes from a solid academic background. Spent his building blocks, uh, the years when you're learning things at the prestigious IIT. He then moved on to work in consulting at firms like Nomura um, which is an investment banking firm and then he shifted to, to strategy consulting at Strategian which is a firm owned by PwC and now he took the shift from consulting to the startup ecosystem uh, and he started as uh, the head of operations at this firm called Nursery Live. Now Nursery Live as the name suggests is an e-commerce marketplace where uh, you know they're selling everything related to plants so it's it's amazing because you know who doesn't want to live in a greener world everybody does right so his story was amazing and and what i really liked about raj is uh apart from a full-time job that he does as the chief of staff at nursery life he's also one of the members of a thriving online community of startup evangelists Called a Junior VC, and if you haven't yet checked out ajuniorvc.com, I would highly recommend that you go do that right now. And two, you also go check out their Slack channel because the community that they've created and the engagement that's happening there is truly fantastic. If you love listening to this podcast, do follow the Strategy Podcast on LinkedIn, Spotify, and Instagram. And leave us a comment with your feedback and reviews. We absolutely love hearing from you. Uh, and having said that, let's jump into the episode. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the strategy podcast. I'm super excited doing the series. Um, we're almost done with half a dozen interviews of uh, chief of staffs at some of the leading startups and uh, MNCs uh, in India. It's been a very interesting conversation. There is a spectrum of insights that we have gathered. And one thing that I can take away is the job is amazing. One, two, it completely changes with the life cycle of the organization. So if you're in a young early stage company, the role that you might go into is going to be very different if you're going to go work for a large Fortune 500 firm. So that's what makes this role very interesting, because like most other roles in a corporate or a startup, there is there is an upper uh, perimeter or border to those to those roles. But when it comes to a chief of staff, it is something which really evolves. So with that, I'd like to welcome today's guest. We have with us Raj. Nayan Raj is the chief of staff at Nursery Life. Um, he's also the founding team member at uh, at a Junior VC, which is a platform where uh, a couple of young guys have come together to share insights on the Indian startup ecosystem. So, if you're not following it, I highly recommend that you try it out. They publish some amazing insights. So, with that, Raj, welcome to the show. How are you feeling? Absolutely. Really excited. Uh, very. Uh, it, it's really nice to talk to you, uh, Rohit, and uh, can't wait to share my insights. Awesome, Raj. So why don't we start from the very beginning? You know, Absolutely. Tell, t- tell me about your, uh, you know, school and college life. Your early building years, build-up years. Like, how did you, uh, you know, all the way to yep. you becoming a cheaper of staff? If we, we can, you know, first cover the first part of your life. Absolutely. Um,
1: I think it's it's really important to start uh, right from the you know the, the roots. So I grew up in Calcutta. Uh, that's where I stayed for the first 18, 19 years of my life. Um, I was schooled at MP Birla Foundation, which was supposed to be one of the top leading schools in Calcutta. Uh, I think that played a huge role uh, in molding me into what I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if I go back to my school days uh, <clears throat> at school, uh, even before that, uh, my parents, I am a Bengali, and my parents, both of them, are uh, from this side of the this side of the nation,
0: mm.
1: like this side of Bengal, actually. Uh, and what comes as a part of that sort of a cultural upbringing is that uh, we tend to become very, very, very educated uh, oriented towards academics. Right, and that is what you would find uh, in most of the higher institutes of uh, learning. That there's so many Bengalis around, you just sort of start feeling that it's a mini Calcutta um so throughout uh school you know till class 12 uh is very very uh, academically motivated in fact um i topped my boards in uh, class 10 uh, as well as you know daily had a, a ton of marks in class 12. apart oh, from man, that I, um, I could only dream of doing that <laughs> yeah yeah in fact in fact uh in uh class tenth in icc there is a very funny thing that happened hmm. uh I I was uh, very much into basketball I used to play basketball for my school as well as uh, the the junior state team mm. um I was uh, right after you know appearing for my board exams it was a, a hot summer day in may or june typically that is when the board exams results come out and uh, I was practicing with my school team totally unaware that today the results are going to come out and then suddenly, you know, in the middle of the practice, it stopped. And then uh, the coach said that, you know, Raj, can I, can I see you? Yeah, what did I do wrong? Did I miss a layup? Did I, you know, do a bad pass or something? And then said that, you know, you have to go right now to the, to the staff room. Like, staff room? This is the summer holidays. Why do you have to go to the staff room? And then apparently, all the teachers were gathered around there. And they said that, you know, you not only top the school, you probably have to you know, top the national merit list. I'm mean, like, wow. <laughs> that's it. that's totally surprising <laughs> yeah and and that's how it was like you know more of a happy go lucky sort of a person never mm-hmm. uh super competitive but at the same time trying to have fun out of life uh class 12th is when i decided that maybe it's time for me to you know think about how i want to
0: where i want to study uh in college very important phase uh for a lot of us and uh Unfortunately, because we're not grown used to make taking out its own decisions, it's often our uh, peer group and our family which is kind of pushing us towards choosing Ki, I, di, chale jao, waad, ayam, lo. you know the typical paths that you need. Absolutely. absolutely. Did you go through the same world Was it an obvious choice for you?
1: I think uh, I'm very lucky that uh, my parents never ever asked me to choose a stream. That's awesome. They have been totally independent. In the sense that, you know, you do whatever you like to do. We are just there to support you. If ever you fail, we have your back, but just go do your thing. Hmm. So, uh, in fact, my father is a CA uh, and uh, my mom is a homemaker. So apparently people would think that I would always have that inclination towards commerce. Uh, Eventually, that's where I landed up after college, but that's a different story. I'll come to that. (laughs) Um, But then science was actually, uh, we had two streams, commerce and science in school. And that division apparently happens after standard eight. So when you get into class nine, you either choose science or commerce. And then that's fixed for life, apparently. Um, I always found that, and then again, like no uh, disrespect towards commerce students, but science was always more competitive. And you would always, you know, get that kick uh, if you, you, know, do well, or you sort of, you know, stand first in the class. So that's obviously was the natural choice more than the love of the subject was more than, more about the kick you know what do you love doing so i chose science and uh, if you are choosing science after class 12 you either have two choices you go and study pure sciences uh, or you sort of take up engineering uh, i again wanted to get into iit just because of the kick of it and not because i love to engineering um, it's super competitive you know like you know super yeah. low uh, <laughs> <laughs> and being a you know general candidate makes it even more difficult to get into the top IITs. And uh, so so fortunately uh, I was able to crack it. Uh, joined IIT Bombay. Um, and then again like if you talk about the IITs, uh, Bombay is one of the, the leading IITs even in the elite set of IITs. So so that was again uh, something which I really <clears throat> found to be you know, giving me the kick. I think that is what somewhat translated. Uh, into all my, uh, career decisions that I've taken post-graduation, finding the challenge and sort of, you know, proving that, you know, you, you're up for the challenge and you can do it not necessarily because mm-hmm. of monetary, uh, benefits or anything else. So in college, uh, the, the best thing about it is that the peer group, and you probably have heard it so many times that there are so many talented people around mm-hmm. at first you would feel very overwhelmed that wherever you look around you know be it sports academics quizzing literature dramatics everywhere people are just so good at their job that you start feeling so small in front of them and that has a uh, uh, and you know it sort of makes you strive even harder all the achievements that you have had so far is 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 yesterday's thing just you kind know, of focus God on Got like today. rock
0: stars all around us all around
1: and they're so humble. I remember this particular episode, uh, this particular incident. Uh, as freshers, uh, we were allotted hostel 15 for the first time.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: was a newly constructed hospital, And like everyone, you know, I want to meet the IR1. Uh, I think his name was Sandeep. And uh, you see him, his face right in front of every newsletter, every magazine, every newspaper. And like, is this person some sort of a demigod? And then uh, I happened to meet him, I think second week into the, uh, into into the, uh, semester, and when I knocked his door, he came out to be super humble, really nice. You know, we spoke, we chat, uh, chatted for quite some time, and then we developed very good friendship. And uh, that's how it is, you know, all those high achievers, each and every one of them. Even today, uh, if I ever feel like I need anyone of their help, I can just you know, ring them up, and it's all the old memories back. So yeah, awesome man. So after after college, uh, it was time for me to. You know, even in the fourth year of uh, uh, engineering, it's time for me to uh, understand. You know, do I what career stream do I want to pick? Do I want to get startup I mean,
0: investment banking and strategy, and then startups. You know, that's my resume.
1: <laughs> but but when I was just uh, you know, setting for placements, it was really tough. Uh, and then again, hmm. one thing that I was very determined about is to. Uh, utilize my time at IIT Bombay to the maximum extent possible. And I think this is something which many people know, but very few essentially execute. Mm. So staying in, 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 you know, the financial capital of the country and being at one of the premier institutes opens up so many opportunities for you that, you know, I, I'll tell you my example,
0: mm. I
1: interned with, uh, a uh, Indian investment bank in my second year. In my um, second year winters, or rather third year winters, I had an internship with a leading FinTech startup with my my third year summers were spent at HUL, which is an FMCG company, which is like totally separate. Um, apart from that, you know, since we are, I was in Powai, Powai at that point of time 2014, 2015, if you remember, it was a time of housing, Tiny Owl and sort of the mini Silicon Valley of India. So, you know, you just go there, you talk to people, you say that, you I'm going to volunteer to work, work with you even for free during in semester. So it's, it's so much to take from those four years that you sort of develop a perspective. What do I want to do? It's, you know, is it a process of elimination that I've done startups? I don't like it. I've done banking. I don't like it. Or is it more like this, you know, you sort of find your own calling after interacting with so many people. For me, it was relatively easier. Because uh, Nomura, the company that I worked for right out of college, had a campus right next to IIT in Pawai. And um, that was, you know, very, uh, before Nomira, it was Lehman Brothers. So Nomira essentially came and acquired Lehman Brothers, uh, Asia, Asian business, Asian and European business. So Lehman Brothers is sort of the dream. Uh, for every kid, I think his father happened to be a banker. <laughs> was the was dream. The dream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then so I told him my father is a CEO and he used to work at a bank. So, you know, I would be coming back. He would come back from work, tell me about his experiences. And then I thought that maybe, you know, why not? If I'm getting a, a shot at Lehman Brothers, now Nomira, why not? So that's how I ended up at um, Nomira. Hmm. What did I you think,
0: learn uh, at Nomura? What, what, what were your takeaways in the investment banking business?
1: Um, so I because told the reason you, uh, I'm uh, asking uh, this
0: is uh, Raj. A lot of startups today, when they're, uh, um, you know, publishing or looking for somebody to join the founders team, they're looking for people with background in investment banking, background in consulting, perhaps because they want to help them raise capital. That's like one part of the business and investment. Absolutely. Yeah. Consulting is all about, you know, strategy and project management, hardcore operational skills that you need to apply to grow a business. So let's start with the first piece of the puzzle, which is Nimura. What happened there? What did you learn? And. How are you applying the uh, experiences to your current job at Nursery Life?
1: Absolutely, I think uh, the uh, my interview experiences at Novira and the way that I got in substantiates why it's super important that you should be grabbing all the opportunities as you get. Mm. Uh, my MD at Novira, with whom I was interviewing, he happened to know my boss at the fintech startup where I had interned at.
0: Oh,
1: so. When I was interviewing with him, I told him that, you know, I also worked in, in semesters uh, in internship at uh, this FinTech startup. He said, oh, do you know this guy? Like, yeah, I worked right under him. And they sort of had a phone call and they said, you know, this guy is really good. so You should take him. Like, that's how I essentially got in, you know, and skipping I... the cupboards. And it was a super competitive role. You can imagine, like all the IITs, all the, you know, top achievers want to get into it. And how do you, you know, get a foothold? I think that's how it started. Um, I was a part of uh, the global associates batch of 2017, uh, associates, were, associates and analysts were hired all across the globe in Nomira's, you know, different inna- international offices, offices. Uh, London, New York, Tokyo, Hong Kong, Singapore, Mumbai, everywhere. We had this global training uh, in London, uh, stayed there for a few, few, a few weeks. Uh, completed this training with an international batch, so that is the first time when I happened to step my you know, foot outside the country, and that's where I learned that uh, when you when you talk about a truly international experience, you have to work with people across the world. Like, you know, just just having phone calls
0: uh, isn't having or, that cultural or, you know, exchange. To be able to step into somebody else's shoes from a very distant background. And then having that conversation, it's very different. Absolutely,
1: and then again, this is a, an example that I that really you know blew my mind. Um, in college, you would often notice that if you're taking a, a, um, a class on let's say pricing, and you want to do bond pricing,
0: right. so you have
1: that you know big formula that you know if the coupon could eat is this, and this is the discount rate. You know what is what is the price of the bond right now? Uh, I had a, a colleague of mine. Who did her, I uh, think, East Asian studies uh, from Oxford, and uh, she was posed this question that how do you price a bond, and the way she came up with the answer, it's it's totally different. I couldn't have ever realized that. Oh, this is another perspective of looking at it. And she had no formal quant background, as I said, in East Asian studies. So yeah, that's that's really amazing. Uh, I came back with that learning. Uh, So in Nomira, my job was to essentially be a part of the corporate strategy team focusing on Mm -hmm. investment banking. Uh, As a part of that role, you essentially look at businesses from a 30,000 feet view and understand what is going wrong, what is going right, how do you eliminate the silos, how do you eliminate the major silos between global markets and investment banking. Uh, So when you say investment banking, it's more of the deal making side, global markets is more like the trading side. Yeah, and after right. 2008 crisis, you know, the Volcker rule sort of, you know, all these rules said that you have to have a Chinese wall between these two sides. Even then for the company to thrive, you have to have, you can't have these businesses working in silos. So how do you, you know, walk around this Chinese wall? How do you essentially ensure that uh, your business benefits from a lot of cross-selling and upselling at the same time, not violating laws. So very interesting stuff crazy um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really crazy so now that i look back at those you know big ppts you know ppts were like 100 pages long uh, with very minute intricate details and one particular weekend i was you know poring over them sitting uh, in front of my screen at you know at 11 p.m on a saturday evening i totally hated my life but looking back in retrospect i have learned so much about this entire domain for the one and a half year that i stayed at novera it's always going to be with me okay that essentially brings back a, a lot of the work ethic in terms of uh, knowledge that i gained over there uh, a bit of it is really important when i you know let's say working with my ceo too so is it uh, your
0: the are the big takeaways your uh, technical skills or is it the soft skills or, or that you know that mindset shift that happened because you were able to attend those global sessions what's the change um
1: i think Technical skills would somewhere be around 10% because without understanding how you value a company, you know, all the DCFs, all the comparables. unless you understand how they work, when you're talking to you know investors as a part of your startup, you know, representing essentially your CEO, uh, coming up with valuations, you wouldn't have that confidence. Let's say somebody throws a number at you and say that, I think your company's fair valuation is this. How do you negotiate or how do you realize that, you know, this number actually makes sense or, or does it at all? So technical skills is near about 10%, uh, 50% of it is the work ethics. You know, you always have to be good at your job. Your consistency should never, ever go down. You know, if you're drafting an email at 2 AM in the morning, mm. you can't miss an first trophy. you can't be like, you know, I am, and then you just sort of go ahead with it. And unfortunately. In mobile phones, there is an autocorrect. So if you just want to type I am and auto correct it, but when you're typing it in a laptop or a you know, screen, there's no autocorrect. And you can't afford to have mistakes even that small because an impression once made, it stays forever. Absolutely
0: agreed. I think it's very important to be remarkable at your job, nothing less because um, what else do you separate yourself from somebody else? Everybody is coming through the same system, the same educational yeah background more or less so now when you're in the market you have to have something really remarkable So, i mean if everybody is very good and you're not remarkable you're not able to stand out <laughs> exactly
1: that, that's that's i think uh very true uh and like you can't do 99 things correctly and this is again that i learned uh in my you know consulting gig at uh strategy and a uh, pwc strategy and uh that, yes so, you, know, you can't do so we'll
0: get to that and I want to ask we'll you
1: why the active. transition? What what made you move from investment banking to consulting? Uh, when I was at Nomira, uh, even there's an investment bank, as I said, that there's a, a internal corporate strategy group, uh, which in hindsight looks like the CEO's office of such a big company. But uh, the corporate strategy group uh, focusing entirely on investment banking doesn't look exclusively only at the deals, but has more of a, uh, you know, a... Uh, From a vantage point, it tries to solve many of the consulting problems which a typical McKinsey or Bean would come in and solve. So to an extent, I was a consultant working in an investment bank being paid by the investment bank. Uh, So the transition to strategy and was uh, not too much of an effort uh, in the sense that obviously uh, I had to go through rounds of interviews. And since it's an off-campus interview, uh, it's slightly tougher as well because uh, now your competitors are just not uh, your guys from campus but essentially the entire entire pool when i got into uh strategy and i was uh, assigned a new vertical altogether it was healthcare uh, mm-hmm. and that to us healthcare uh then again the transferable skills over here was that you know when i joined nomira i knew nothing about finance but within a month or two you know i can do a lot of things which uh was expected of an associate even with strategy and as a transferable skill you know, learn and learn very fast uh, over there uh it's you know you are dealing with a cons a, a client you probably have uh an engagement manager and a director above you a client who sort of you know expects the world from you uh because then again that's the amount that they pay to typical consultants um that's how that's how you they justify the
0: amount they're paying us <laughs> yeah.
1: and in hindsight a lot of it depends uh on how you think essentially this entire management consulting business is uh, it's, essentially it's totally paid. right exactly a lot of it is execution but if you can't if you're not clear in your head that what you want to execute you can't execute true uh, so so that that's how uh, but then uh in in strategy and I think some of the things that I really learned is that how do you manage uh conversations with some sort of an hostile uh stakeholder who hmm. really wants to you know show you in bad light in the sense that you know the way it happens is that uh, the partners sort of talk to very senior level uh, client leadership and then it sort of you know, starts percolating down. The client leadership would essentially have a project management team being assigned uh, to sort of be the stakeholder to the consultants. And even in the consultants, uh, <clears throat> as a junior consultant, I would sort of, you know, my day-to-day work would mostly be revolving around managing my project uh, management team from the client side. The project management team essentially, you know, feels that, you know, you're inferior because if they were there, why are you here? Right. Uh, So it's a lot of, you know, clashing conflicts. And this, again, I think something which will come down to managing egos as my current role as uh, chief of staff. So once you learn to do that, uh, once you learn to impress them, once you ensure that uh, your presence is not going to, uh, you know, get them fired, essentially help them do much better at their job and essentially show them in a better light. All these soft skills go a way lot, uh, you know, become much more important than actual project deliver- deliverables at some point of time. Uh, because unless your stakeholder is ready to listen to you, whatever great ideas you come up with, it's worthless.
0: True, absolutely. Um, so let's those move. are
1: some of the learnings that I took
0: yeah 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 man that's that's true it's just uh, uh, you know when it comes, comes to consulting because i have a similar background and that's i remember okay. to do all those deals a big part of uh, me getting information out of the target company was you know having those conversations with with the uh, with their people right that they have to work with me together if they need the money it's as simple as that so if you're being hostile you're the one who was who was at the lo- law at loss not me because i'm yeah. going to do my work and i'm going to go to another project but you're going to be stuck here so yeah just to you know make them understand and also empathize with them kind of because uh, when a project like this happens they have to also put their daily work uh, on the back burner and then focus and work get time out of for us so that's something that you, you kind of learn. As you're into that process, great. Okay. Uh, okay, let's talk about a junior VC. Kyuki LinkedIn may, you know, in the hierarchy that's like coming before uh, a nursery, like, so what's what's the deal with the junior VC? How did this all begin? And it's doing amazing. I mean, you, the, the content that you guys post is super. Where do you get all this information? Is it like uh, some inside sources? or Because I don't <laughs> find oh, these are all private companies. Where do you get the numbers? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think
1: um a junior VC happened uh to me a, a lot like this, that you know, uh sort of uh skill meets opportunity sort of a thing where I was super interested uh, in learning about the VC ecosystem. And essentially, you know, if you if you sort of look at the career trajectories of When did you start it? Were were you still at Namura? Not not really. Um I was uh, sort of interviewing with a few of the startups, uh, and that's when, um, you know, one of my seniors from campus, you might have heard about him, you know, Avril, he's essentially the founder of a junior VC. I, you know, and I knew him from uh, IIT Bombay days because uh, he was three years senior to me in campus. And since both of us had a lot of shared interests, so the introduction was already done you know, a lot before. Mm. And then uh, I was also following his Koda posts and LinkedIn posts uh, for quite some time. And uh, when I essentially moved to Pune uh, for my gig with uh, Nursery Life, um, I sort of you know caught up with him and uh, <clears throat> wanted to uh, talk to him a bit about our interest because he was uh, being a VC at that point of time. And I was really interested in the startup ecosystem. Wanted to understand you know I, I had a, a, a sort of very Fulfilling experience with all the internships that I had, had so far when I was in campus, and I really wanted to write about uh, the way uh, you know, these startups are actually bringing in the gold rush in India. Uh, in 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 a country where uh, VCs and uh, private equity is relatively nascent, uh, but booming. really want to nascent, but booming. Yeah people really want to know about this but there is no uh, source of info, or rather credible source of information that you can you know refer to uh, so i caught up with him and then we decided that uh, avril was already writing with a, a few other folks uh, that he knew um, and i just you know, thought that maybe uh, we can you know create something great out of this what, what, I, what I find
0: in. really amazing about about it is uh, all of you guys are uh, part timers ass. It's a side hassle for you guys. Uh, But the way it's shaping up when I go through, uh, when I go read the blogs, listen to the podcasts, uh, it looks, it comes across as a very professionally done, you know, high quality, remarkable job that I could, uh, that I can see from the outside. So how do you guys do it? Like what's the magic formula? Secret sauce? Yeah.
1: I think uh, that is something which... um... (laughs) <laughs> which is I'll keep it as a trade secret <laughs> uh, essentially we have a set of very motivated individuals within our team uh, it's, a, it's a small cohesive team to start with uh, and the moment you bring in uh, motivated and driven individuals who really want to drive an impact in a field to some extent that relates directly with their professional field magic happens. That's all. All these numbers, all this analysis, all these data points, the entire flow of the story, it's totally in-house. We don't have any consultants, which we, which we refer to. In fact, uh, a year back uh, when we started, like when AJVC was officially started uh, a year and a half back almost, um, it used to be just a newsletter, uh, a, a small concise one where uh, we would you not know, talk about uh contemporary events, uh, somewhat like you know, what is Cred? What does Cred do? And how do you understand its business model? Something that people know, but they don't really understand. Uh, from that, it slowly evolved into a full fledged newsletter where we started talking about uh, you know, recent contemporaries that link back to our previous stories as well as the main story. Um, started having podcasts, started having a very uh, fledgling, uh, a sort of Motivating and you, you have you also
0: have that explainer series about you know startup okay. terms, what is a mode and stuff like that. Yeah, we call it concepts, startup concepts, exactly, which, which is very so, interesting because so for uh somebody who's just starting out who doesn't get the jargon, you know, de jargonizing is very important, <laughs> absolutely. I think you know, we would all want to uh talk
1: about LTVs and CAC, but then what is that? What do you mean exactly? It's super important to understand that so that's how ajvc started i think uh, when uh, we grew almost 10x in a year's time which is amazing uh, our maus are comparable to a lot of established uh, paid promotional sort of um, content providers out there on the mm-hmm. yeah and we are totally non-profit we you know the, all, all of us when we are working it's more like you know we want to do something and you know get the reward out of it and it's the impact
0: which is the work itself is the reward Absolutely,
1: the readers of AJVC apparently you know keep us motivated and sort of you know lead us to be at our job every day and every other weekend. Uh, mm. when, when they come back with all the love, with all the insights. In fact, uh, this is something which uh, somebody wrote to us that uh, AJVC is actually making people interested about a domain which they don't uh, they wouldn't have possibly cared about. Uh, some of us uh, have heard reviews like this, that, you know, they were interviewing for a particular startup and they found the write-up on AJVC and they read about it and the founders and the interviewers were super impressed. And how do you find so much? Uh, how do you manage to learn so much about us in such less time?
0: AJVC. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. awesome, man. Okay. Now we come to nursery life. Uh, I, read, I read a bit about it. You know, trying to get a uh, plant in every corner. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Your home and office. So, what, what is it about? Who's the guy? How did you get in touch with him? And uh, what made you now move from investment banking to consulting? Beach may get for a side hustle and now cheap of stuff.
1: So, aging is a continuous thing. So,
0: it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. sort of, you know, hai, you t-
1: r- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, with Nursing Live, what, what happened was that uh, I was actually interviewing with, as I told you, a few of the startups and that's when nursery life came along um, then again avril had a very uh, big role to play in connecting me with nursery life mm. uh, because he was one of the company uh, he was one of the investors uh, in in the company and um, uh, so it, it it was more of an informal conversation to start with so so the coo at that point of time Mm -hmm. Uh, wanted to, you know, interact with me, understand how uh, I work, if if I can add value to the team. And it's like super informal, you know, just call them up over weekend and you chat about a lot of things and uh, you sort of like the person and you say that, you know, why don't you come over to uh, our processing centers, our main, you know, hub of operations in Pune over the weekend and see, you know, if you like it and see how it fits into your career goals. I personally always wanted to start up a business uh like, right from the time when i sort of you know i think i was preparing for iit uh, essentially <clears throat> uh if you, if you have to you know uh, sort of find some challenge everyday starting up is obviously the best thing like i was my, my thinking wasn't so mature back in 2010 when i when this seed had germinated but uh, essentially you know, it was a idea that was always at the back of my mind yeah. so uh and the thing with early stage startups is that when you come in as a part of the core founding team, uh, very hands the, the impact that you can create is enormous. You can't sort of imagine the impact that you can create
0: one or two years down the line. You, you are a quasi founder, uh, whether or not you have that like yeah, proper designation,
1: right? Absolutely. Very much. I think you're bang on. Uh, so one, one day in uh, August of 2019, I drove down to Pune. Uh, had a look at the processing centers. I think I had uh, drawn heavily from my experiences at Unilever hmm. to understand how the fulfillment centers of an e-commerce platform works. Uh, and what, I, what, I, what
0: does, uh, you know, for people who don't know, including me, what does Nursery Live do?
1: Right. Uh, our main aim is to put a green space, green corner in every possible home or office in the in yeah. the country so to do that uh essentially we are an e-commerce platform where we you know have an assortment of gardening equipments and plants and its entire section about uh you know how to make your you know how do you improve your lifestyle uh not by buying let's say an apple airpod but by you know just putting a green space in your house or let's say you know not buying uh, uh an air purifying machine but just putting a sansevieria plant uh in your you know uh, home corner Got A lot it. of it uh, a lot of our customers have realized know that at some point of time it's very important and healthy to have a plant, but they just don't know where to buy it from. Uh, and I think we uh, resonate a lot with Licious in this aspect. That uh, you know, if you don't, so Licious, uh, one of the you know, companies which really is defining that D2C food brands category, We realize that people really want to Indians as such uh, really want to have quality non-vegetarian food, but uh, it's a taboo if you go and buy it from the local wet market. For us as Nursery Life uh, <clears throat> the similar parallel is this that you know, all of us know that you know, plants around us is going to make us healthy, it's going to improve our mood it's going to make our air, the air that we breathe cleaner uh, but where do we buy plants from? The local nursery guy doesn't have much idea about you know, what plants he's selling and at the same time how do I know what plant I have to buy? Uh, do i want to buy a flowering plant you know do i want to buy a plant which sort of you know keeps mosquitoes away you know or let's say you know gives me an imbue every quarter what do something i something which to- is seasonal
0: now that it is winters
1: yeah absolutely so if you if you happen because to there are a some flower, plants which flowering. only
0: because I, I i love going to nurseries there's a huge nursery near my place i go there you know every like once in a quarter and uh, yeah. it's a huge place i just love you know spending time going there looking at the plants and uh, I come to realize that there's just so much variety there. It's impossible Absolutely. for somebody who has no clue stepping in what, where to go and what to pick. And
1: it's not a typical mall that you'll have no. self-explainers at the bottom of every plant. True. You'll have to you know, ask the person that, you know, what is this? What is that? And by the time you ask your fifth question, the nursery guy is already irritated. So he doesn't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> so, no.
0: Right. So how, so how, how does nursery life that? solve this problem?
1: Right. So uh, we essentially, you know, for, for any customer who comes onto our website, uh, we have specific landing pages for what they're looking at, essentially, you know, if, if I'm looking at having a set of plans that is going to make my office uh, aesthetically pleasing, we have a set of plans for that, you know, tagged and grouped and, you know, making the buying experience very easy for you. All you need to do is just like Amazon have one click and the set of plans would reach to your place. Uh, no hassles, uh, no waiting in the line, no asking questions, I think, and you just call up, you use your chat support to understand a bit more about your plans and we'll get you in touch with our experts online and the entire ecosystem around it. Uh, so, so that is what, uh, awesome. uh, has been trying to do.
0: Awesome. Tell me about your role there. What is, uh, what are the major things that you handle? Um, how do you create an impact? How do you work with the CEO, COO, right? And uh,
1: uh, okay, I'll come to that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, now I work with the CEO. Okay, so basically, what is your role there and uh, the things that you handle directly mm-hmm. and you know help them achieve their goals uh, and the organization, larger vision?
1: Absolutely. Um, I started out as a director of operations, you know, trying to streamline Sea uh, Lives operations across the country. Uh, working directly with the COO back then, <clears throat> I think I was in that role for four and four or five months, and then I made my switch to the CEO, the chief of staff role, you know, directly reporting to the CEO. And I think a lot of the initiatives that I had taken as a director of operations somehow uh, made me the, or rather, I feel like you know, right now I feel like I was acting like the chief of staff, but without the title. Uh, so essentially if if i you know talk about uh, the, the the operations of having live plants being delivered to each and every pincode or as many pin codes as possible across the country your supply chain needs to be super robust because once you you know put a plant in a box and you want to send it ahead if the plant dies your entire experience around uh, buying that plant totally sort of you know goes for a toss vibrates Right there, you know, you open the package, you see a dead plant, like, why did I order a plant to start? You've lost a
0: customer for less.
1: <laughs> we have lost a customer. We have, in fact, lost 10 other customers who potentially would have purchased because, you know, you this person is to go ahead and say that.
0: And uh, talk to other people.
1: Right, exactly. So uh, uh, some of the uh, projects that I worked at over there, uh, a few of them would be, like, you know, improving the net promoter score, NPS, the benchmark with which you understand the customer satisfaction and the repeat buying rate Uh, at the same time, how do you, you know, mobilize suppliers and vendors all across the country so that you get the best plants at the cheapest rates and your contribution margins and cost of goods sold, they sort of keep coming down. Uh, And all those projects essentially, you know, brought tremendous results. And I was totally amazed. I know I have before this, I worked as a consultant. Uh, where my work was supposed to directly impact the client and I was supposed to see results, many of which actually happened, but the speed at which it was happening at Nurse Life was just phenomenal. Yeah. It was almost that's like the, this that today,
0: that, that's why most pay uh, organizations are struggling with their transformation efforts. That's why startups create yeah. that disruption,
1: absolutely. And you're, you're Absolutely sort of, you know, hit the nail on its head. Uh, and to give you an example, uh, some of the things that uh, a, a major pressing issue was that finding out the best quality plants at the lowest prices. Uh, and for that, you essentially have to have long-term deals with major uh, nurseries across the country. And that deal has to be cracked, you know, with a lot of sweet talking, with a lot of promises and you know, showing them the bigger picture, which, you um, the moment I did, I realized that our NPS course, you know, just sort of skyrocketed like right there customers saying that, you know, we have received the best plants, it's flowering, it's doing this, it's doing that. And I realized that, wow, it's, that is the first thing that I, you know, realized that, wow, results here are absolutely real time. I can see impacts happening right in front of me.
0: It's like that high that you get.
1: Absolutely. And it directly translates into the bottom line of the company as well. Satisfied customers, more money, you know, repeat sales. It's, it's so interlinked and it's...
0: Awesome, man. Tell me about, uh, you know, you're working in a high-pressure environment. Uh, yeah. The CEOs and all the other founders, like they like, you know, they are, they are answerable to investors and other people. Uh, in that kind of a high-pressure zone, there is a lot of pressure on you to perform. How do you handle that Absolutely. pressure? You will make mistakes sometimes not all of your uh, strategies and, you know, initiators will work or give the results that you're expecting. So how do you kind of circumvent this? And when those, um, you know, kind of when it falls flat on your face, how do you deal with that adversity?
1: Uh, I think, uh, our motto of, uh, you know, failing, trying, failing and failing mm-hmm. fast. So that sort of goes a long way in sort of ass- ensuring that even if you fail, you have enough time to sort of get back on your feet. Uh, failures, as you know, are unless you fail like ten times, your eleventh try wouldn't be a success. Uh, but then, uh, how do you differentiate from you know being a failure and you know versus you know just failing once and succeeding again? Is that you have to keep on iterating, failing and failing like you know very fast. I mean, today, if I have an idea in mind. And I'm not sure whether this is gonna work. So just just do it. You know, go there, do it, execute it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, tomorrow you wake up, you come up with another idea. So within ten days, you are done with all the ideas. You know,
0: uh, of, one of them would obviously you know sort of work out. You know, Raj, I I'm reading this book, The Dip, by Seth Godin. If you've heard of it, mm-hmm. The Dip yeah, talks yeah. about uh, the depth talks about you know moments in in doing something where uh, you're hitting a wall, but it's it's just mm-hmm. a dip. Like if you persevere, there is that, you know, big upside waiting for you. But then there is another concept, which is is a dead end or a cul-de-sac, as he calls it, Mm -hmm. which is a dead end. No matter how hard you push, you're not moving the needle any forward. So Mm -hmm. how do you know, you know, uh, agreed with you that you have to try, you have to keep trying and then kind of uh, see if it's working. But how do you take the call? this is a dip. I think if we mm-hmm. persevere, we will kind of make it through or this is a dead end. I think let's drop it. Let's uh, uh, move our resources to something else because, uh, you know, I was reading yesterday uh, CP Insights just released yeah. their report on the top 20 reasons why startups fail. Mm-hmm. And the number one, one reason yeah. was because they ran out of resources because, or because of yeah. their failure to pivot. So this yeah, is the core challenge here. How do you guys deal with this? Uh, this in... Uh, Nursery
1: life. I think, um, and I'm so happy that you asked this question, uh, the, the COVID pandemic actually really substantiated the point that, you know, we were at an at, at the tipping point where Nursery life would survive or would it not? So, you know, we were essentially in the brink of existential crisis. Uh, and this is where that pivot thing that you mentioned becomes so important in in march or april when people essentially had stopped buying everything online apart from masks or medicines at that point of time pushing plants would not have helped at all how do you pivot what do you sell so identifying that you know masks and you know daily health essentials are something which is so much in short supply but we are at an advantage because we know so many vendors across the country that we can source them procure them and send it to customers at almost the same rates at which Amazon and Flipkart are doing. So let's do that. And that's what you know, kept us going during those dip months, you know, when nobody's buying anything. We made uh, a lot of revenues just by you know, selling daily essentials, which is not even our core business. Exactly. And then, you know, then winds started changing. You know, By the time you, like May end, uh, June beginning, you realize that people are now again coming back to plants and they're, coming back at it with renewed energy and, you know, sort of, they want to buy things. That's when you stop that business, you pivot again, you come back to your core strengths. So this is what I think substantiates a lot, but honestly, luck, plays So much role in this, that, uh, you know, you put in all your efforts, you put in 99% of your things, everything is sorted. You know that the business is going to run or this idea of yours is totally foolproof. You have run numbers, you have done surveys, but that 1%, is so important that you know whether the customer is going to buy this product or not it just boils down to that you know last wire uh, from my experiences uh, i was working on a uh, again as chief of staff uh, i had many roles one of them is sort of bringing in new business you no know, opening up new business avenues uh, and the biggest businesses and the best relationships happen with corporates you know in, in the b2b sales line over there I uh, had a particular client with uh, whom uh, i was working at on, on a big ticket item uh, we just had to deliver gifts for their employees all across the country uh for i think one particular festival uh, it was going good i was pursuing that lead for you know two months and suddenly on uh, you know everything was done the deal was about to be signed uh, the uh, account transfer was about to happen one day before that uh, mm-hmm. My uh, counterpart came back and said that, you know, we are not going to go ahead with this because of XYZ reason. Uh, one of our sort of, you know, C, uh, I think the CEO or uh, a high level management employee fell sick and then the entire project came to a grinding halt. So that is again luck. Like you can't blame somebody's falling sick on your efforts. But I think uh, hitting that, you know, dead end versus that dip, uh, <clears throat> 99% of it, you know, you just keep on trying if it's a dip on the 10th or 11th try or maybe before it you just happen to you know, you, you go know. you'll you'll get up. a sense
0: whether yeah. you're hitting a dead end or not
1: yeah but uh, uh, much of it is derived from experience
0: mm. but
1: a lot of it comes from luck like if you have let's say at that point of time when covid was there and we essentially had you no know, zero money in our coffers mm. if we couldn't have if we didn't execute on the masks idea we wouldn't have been in business today and now, month on month, we are essentially, you know, outperforming uh, last levels. month's targets. Pre-COVID levels, we have already outperformed. <laughs> <laughs> now, we are at an awesome, all-time awesome, high. Our Great monthly story. revenues are higher than ever before in our entire, Great. you know, five or six years of existence. I think Raj that's talk. the dip that you are talking about.
0: Exactly. Talk to me about, uh, you know, man management. One man is managing the people yeah. who are, uh, you know, above you but a larger part is also working with people who are with you and then below you yeah. and being the chief Absolutely. of staff, you know, there is that. Um, so Ritika told me who's, who's at uh yeah. Thorn. And she said, there is an aura of the office because you're part of the CEO's yeah. office. A my CEO's office say, oh, you know, I have that cloud in me, but I have to also kind of balance my own viewpoints, his viewpoints. And I need to kind of empathize with my, people around Absolutely. to push the work forward how do you manage uh, these relationships
1: i think <clears throat> when you talk about that aura and i I'm, I, I happen to you know uh, go through uh, the interview with Ritika and i found it to be super insightful um, the aura that comes from you know being uh, the chief of staff is always there. So whenever you say that, you know, i a chief of staff at an early stage company, most of your employees wouldn't really understand you know, what is chief of staff? Who
0: are you? Yeah,
1: so it's, it's actually, you know, uh, people often mistake it for to be a job that is of a glorified EA. But uh, to some extent, uh when when people do start understanding that uh, whatever feedback that you go back to the ceo with would determine their career progression in the organization that's the moment i think your order starts playing that you know you now have their ear you have their attention immediately and at the end of the day um, everybody wants to grow you know, i want to grow personally and professionally you want to grow so does my you know stakeholders exactly. i think the the entire beauty of the job as chief of staff is to sort of ensure that you find that thing which drives people and you play according to that. At the end of the day, my job is to ensure that the company grows. And if the company grows, that has to be balanced by the growth of the employee. The company can't grow at the expense of the employee. Neither can the employee. Um, So, with that sort of a mindset, whenever I walk into a meeting uh, and meetings often start out to be hostile because, you know, essentially I am that guy who is not the CEO, who is essentially not even the business line owner, but to an extent, when I ask him questions that, you know, how do I help you, you know, meet your targets? He feels that, why is he challenging me?
0: Trespassing into my yeah. domain. Hey, who are you? You're not the CEO. Why should I answer to you? So,
1: so that's how, you know, meetings start hostile. Uh, I would rather they start on a hostile note, but very soon, uh, when you realize that this guy is actually, you know, not bullshitting his way around, he actually knows his stuff, and he's also here to help you out, and probably if you run his problems uh, by so, him. You know, I just
0: want to rewind a bit. When that happens, when you're in the room with that person for the first time, before mm-hmm. he has any inclination of who you are or what you are bringing to the table, and he is hostile to you, how do you handle that situation? Like. How do you break the, you know, break the ice or break the wall?
1: I think this is something which I learned from my mother. uh, Mm -hmm. Whenever I was super angry uh, as a kid or rather super frustrated, she would hear me out. Just be there and hear me out. That's all. Wouldn't say a thing. Wouldn't offer any advice. Just hear me out. And after, you know, 10, 15 minutes of, you know, super crying and wailing, I would be like, okay, so I need this. Can you mama give me this? And that's the end of the story. Like, no, no, no <laughs> scolding, no slapping. Just that. Hear me out. So that that's what I do. Essentially, that's the learning that I've carried on uh, to my professional life. That you know, If you are angry with me and you are, let's say, you know, saying that, you know, why would I tell you this? You're not this. Mm. Uh, you don't know anything about my business. I do this. I do that. Uh, you know, they would go on this monologue for five, six minutes. And then eventually they would calm down. Like, okay, fine. So you want to know something. What is it? And that's all. Just be there. Be patient. Listen to him.
0: Awesome.
1: You are not there to wield his sword. You're not there to sort of fire him you're not there to direct him all you need to do is sort of you know hear him out that's all it's also so many problems
0: <laughs> that's true great advice um next question is on lines of uh, um, conflicts right so this yeah. is a conflict that you might develop with uh, um, somebody who is senior team, right somebody who you're, who you're reporting to so the ceo and the yeah. founders um if i have if I come across something in the business which perhaps need needs to be changed but is an initiative which is directly being you know formalized by the CEO or the founder uh, but I don't see it running well how do I challenge him mm-hmm. can I challenge him I if yes uh, what's the process how do, how do I do that and how do we make sure that uh, the, the conversation doesn't hurt you know it doesn't take the root of me kind of bashing his ego or the other way around, but rather more towards the constructive growth of the organization. So has those moments occurred for you and how have you kind of uh, circumvented circumvented them? Absolutely. I think uh,
1: many of the times uh, when uh, there are sort of projects which were started or rather which were just initiated but there wasn't any significant push or significant progress happening in projects like them, uh, it often boils down to Prior to startup whenever uh, you know, people are sort of super motivated to do a lot of things uh, but often those efforts are not directed mm. either I can take up 100 projects and uh, sort of do small small bits of those 100 projects and essentially none of them as in uh, you know does uh, have any real time impact on the company or I can choose to have just five and execute them and you know drive enormous results out of it Many a times, in my experience, what I've seen is that it's the former. Mm. The person may not have the bandwidth, uh, yet he can't say no to whoever is giving him work. Like, you know, if, if you want to uh, look good, if you want to come across as somebody who is diligent, you can't say no directly. And learning to say no is an Absolutely art. Absolutely
0: critical, very important.
1: Yeah. So it's it's more like this that Rohit, uh, can you do something? Yes, I can. Uh, then somebody says, Rohit, can you please do something for me as well? Yes, I can. And then ten people have come in and given you fifty tasks, and now you are sort of you know grappling with that, and you often lose focus of the you know, big picture. So that's when, uh, as chief of staff, I think it becomes uh, important for me to understand. So you, do you kind of have importance.
0: to uh, you know build a personal relationship with the? With the ceo is that very important you know outside of work that you guys share share a uh, camaraderie at least if not you're not the best of friends but you respect each other and you listen to each other
1: i think uh that's very important uh to have uh essentially you if you think about my role uh and this is something which i realized that my existence in the company is just to make sure that the ceo has a better night's sleep mm. if, I'm there, and uh, if if my absence doesn't sort of you know uh, make him feel it, then I'm not doing my job properly. As simple as that. So it's just, it's just, just, like
0: just to make the CEO. It's just like uh, it's just like Frank Underwood and Doug Stamper.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so essentially, a lot of Frank's. Sara Sara is doing the ganda
0: kam. <laughs> All the henchmen. Here, <laughs> he <laughs> so the ganda kam. Sara is doing the serious listening. Sara is doing the ganda kam. Sara Absolutely. <laughs>
1: So so uh, with with that sort of a thing, uh, yeah. even when you're starting out, obviously, um, uh, you don't really have a personal connect, like you don't make your best friend your chief of staff, because most of the times, uh, you often come up with viewpoints, which totally go against what the viewpoint of the CEO. And that is when potential conflicts come come up. If I'm your friend, I probably would have said that, you know, I can live with it. Why don't you fly with your ideas? But if I'm doing a good job, I would possibly, you know, bring both the options and have a debate on the pros and cons and then find out what is the best way forward. So, uh, you don't need to be the CEO's best friend to be the chief of staff. At the same time, um, if you're doing a good job and you sort of realize that the CEO is having a good night's sleep because of you, somewhere down the line, subconsciously, the CEO starts developing some sort of a liking for you and starts appreciating your work and starts respecting you for the value that you bring to the table. And this is something which happens, uh, without a conscious effort. And this, uh, like, if you, you can understand that the projects that you are supposed to drive, now I've taken it over and I'm ensuring that I'm a good job at it. And the revenue of the company is being directly impacted. There is no reason for me to not like you.
0: Absolutely. Great, man. Um, I just want to, you know, we're we're nearing the close of this interview. I think we're almost out of time, but I just want to squeeze in a couple more questions. Uh One is on uh, people who are looking to explore this road because I see a lot of tech startups today uh, looking, you know, founders looking to build their teams. Uh, If I want to apply for that role, what is it that I need to know beforehand? Um, How do I uh, project myself as the appropriate candidate? And uh you know, get the role. So what do what do I need? Absolutely. And who I do think, I need uh, to be?
1: I think uh most of the companies who actually come up with uh this sort of a job description that you have to that you're looking for a chief of staff, a liner or two that's mentioned at the bottom is that you know a, a couple of years experience at a tier one management consulting firm or an investment, bank investment banking. Yeah. And, and that is something which I don't really agree with, even though I'm that typical candidate, you know, but I don't want to agree with that because what essentially investment banks and management consulting teaches you is that how do you excel in an environment that is totally unstructured, an environment that you haven't been taught at in B school or at school, uh, an environment where it's super high stakes at the same time, uh, you know it's almost like this that you're walking into a poker game not knowing how to play and sort of figuring your way out of it and coming out of that room with a bounty Deal thing. after deal,
0: you're kind of figuring out hand after hand.
1: Exactly. And, and a lot of the training happens on the job. A lot of the training happens uh, when you talk to similar people. So if I have to interview a chief of staff... Uh, mm-hmm. for, If you're kind field, of looking
0: for a replacement for your role or hiring mm-hmm. one for you, like, you know, how would you go about that process?
1: Oh, it's, it's, uh, again, no, not to draw any eye, out, but uh, typical management consultants or investment bankers, you, know, you know, somebody who have been you know, two or three years into their role, what they have learned is managing stakes in a high pressure environment, juggling multiple things, which all of which are important. Uh, you can't neglect any one of them. At the same time, all of them want your attention at the same point of time. It's almost like this, that I have 10 calls to attend at the same point of time. All of those calls are important. How do I manage to take all of those
0: calls? Like prioritization becomes one very important skill to, for me to show you that I can do multitasking, right? So my resume or my work needs to speak that I'm a multitasker. That's one. What else? Absolutely.
1: And these are some of the things which you'll often find in the the, the CVs of, you know, somebody who has been at an investment bank or a consultant or uh, had uh, an experience at a high growth startup. (laughs) Apart from this, uh, something which is really, really important is uh, resilience. Resilience. Uh, Mm. Yeah. You can't afford to be bogged down by temporary failures or let's say, you know, temporary rebukes because at my current job, I have had many instances where uh, I was in a direct uh, conflict mode with my CEO. And at the same time, we know that the conversation that we're having is uncomfortable. And he is, you know, many more years, uh, has more years of experience than I have. At the same time, uh, I feel that what he's doing may not be the correct thing to do. Uh, as a chief of staff, 90% of the time, I would be overruled. You can't go back out of that meeting feeling that you're worthless. That's where resilience comes in. You have to... Hold your ground. At the same time, be polite, uh, be data driven uh, and, you know, not lose your heart because your the reason why you're still at your job and you're able to have that conflict thing with this year is because this year values your opinion. So, you have to understand that.
0: Uh, and and you know, I think you also, the... you also kind of need to have a high degree of empathy towards them. Really step into their shoes. What is it that, why is he? if he is, having an, uh, a different point of view than me there has to be a reason kind of kind of digging Absolutely. down into that reason rather than holding on to my own is also kind of Absolutely. very important
1: because there are if if you think from his vantage point he has to answer not only to the employees but to the investors to customers to everyone who has to do anything with Life, but let's say as an individual business manager i just have to look at you know my line of stakeholders which is nice. let's say maybe 10% of the stakeholders of the ceo so as chief of staff the greatest advantage that i have is to you know see the business from his vantage point try and understand how his day goes like essentially think like a ceo be like a ceo act like a ceo but don't be a ceo you don't have that title awesome
0: man i think with that note uh... Raj thank you so much for being a part of the show there is something that i should have asked that i did
1: things that i would want to share uh, you know to mm. all everyone out there who uh, is looking to have a career at uh, at, at a high growth startup as a, as a chief of staff i think what binds us all is you know the ability to sort of project manage, the ability to sort of you know uh, talk to different people, to walk into a room, to hold your ground when being challenged. At the same time, you know, be empathetic and understand all the different viewpoints and not just be stuck to your own. I think it's uh, it's a tremendous role. What happens from. after you're chief of self. essentially you don't become the yeah, CEO like, after your chief. Of what what's next?
0: Like, yeah,
1: you don't. Your next step is obviously um, to sort of you know. So what's next?
0: What's next is the CEO.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I wish it was that. I wish that was the case. Why didn't you answer uh, that question? What do you
0: think? What's next for somebody who is, because it's, it's it's different. Uh, I asked the same question to Ritika and she, um, you know, being at GT, she told me the three chief of stars prior to her, uh, one is uh, a senior partner handling a business unit. Another one has left the company to start his own business and he's the CEO of that yeah, organization. Yeah. The third guy is the current COO. So like where you... So, talk about, uh, you know, um, where you I are at think... your stage in a young startup. Mm-hmm. Where do you think it goes? Uh, it depends
1: a lot on what uh, the individual candidate wants to do. So essentially, the chief of staff role... Uh, uh, points you to so many skill sets and mm. all of them are transferable. If you want to take a step back and get into a B school, I think this is, I think Anvita dekhane exactly did yeah. what I'm going to talk about, you know, go to a B school, you know, have uh, a sort of enriching to or uh, one or two years of experience at a school, you know, share your learnings, learn a lot and come back build and, the, you know, build sort of network. Decide. Absolutely. Um, For experienced individuals who don't want to, you know, get into uh, academics again, for them, it's uh, very simple. Either you sort of, uh, you know, become the individual business line head, because then you have so much more perspective that you bring even more value to the job. Or essentially, uh, if you always had that Kira of starting up on your own, I think no other experience prepares you to do that role well than a chief
0: of staff role. But, you know, I uh, agreed with you. My only uh, limited point here is because the role is so cross-functional, if you move from now that perspective to heading a singular uh, line of work, uh, mm-hmm. although that will give you a lot of perspective to do that job, I don't know if you would be, uh, you know, highly motivated to do that because yep. now you're kind of tied to a silo. And and you know, spending the last three years or four or five years breaking those silos, and now then you know, getting into one is a difficult transition to have. But that's just my. Uh, opinion.
1: I think uh, there is there is this uh, opinion that uh, being the individual business line unit is sort of a step down. Uh, <clears throat> it's not actually if if you sort of tend to understand the perks and responsibilities that come with individual business lines as a chief of staff uh, you are accountable but then the amount of impact that you can have uh, is mostly uh, through sort of you know managing uh, expectations and to mm-hmm. an extent you know cajoling and persuading people and not doing things hands on yourself uh, not at least in majority of the cases but the moment you become an individual business unit owner you get to have your hands dirty. You actually get to do the things and not talk about it. Uh, That to many people is a very powerful motivator. Uh, And the same time, since you have been the one who have been breaking down silos, you would essentially ensure that your business is not the one who is in silos. So, you know, if you have three chief of staffs uh, essentially becoming three business line uh, heads, the current chief of staff has got very less things to do his life is very easy because all of them before him know exactly oh, how to you know
0: that's an incredible to... insight loved it
1: but I think uh, it's been a super uh, interesting uh, session talking to you sharing my experiences I love doing it I love being a part of uh, this entire experience uh, thanks so much for having me Raj
0: thank you so much for being there thank you Raj for your time thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in and as said, Gordon says keep making magic Take care guys and have a great week ahead.